name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Resident Evil Retribution, which might be a surprise to folks who heard last week's podcast, and we're expecting us to cover a different Paul Anderson movie. Uh, we had some scheduling confusion, and we'll get to the other Paul Anderson in due time, but this week it is Resident Evil Retribution, and I will be talking about it along with oh, well. Christian McClansky. My name is Dante. Tell me, I'm tell them I'm coming. <laughs> you want to do another another take on that? No, one? he did it better than the line in the movie. <laughs> okay, and we will also have with a tagline for Resident Evil Retribution, Kelly Wand. Uh, thank God, one director named Paul Anderson had a movie opening in Vancouver. Oh, did I screw up your tagline? Oh, I'm sorry, Kelly Wand. Uh, <laughs> I screwed up a lot of your three by three, so I wanted. <laughs> I could have changed it, but I wanted you to feel bad. Uh, for real. Now, if there hadn't been scheduling confusion, would you have a different tagline just for yeah. Resident Evil Retribution, and what would that be? Consistent. Hmm. Well, you know what? I might take issue with that, but we'll, we'll get to that shortly. But first, <laughs> Dingus, before you spoil anything about the movie, Dingus, why don't you tell us a little bit about, tell folks a little bit, spoiler-free, about what we saw this week. Take issue. Right. Well, <laughs> That's what sounds like. <laughs> Well, somebody's got to. This week we saw Resident Evil Retribution, mm. a 2012 Canadian science fiction horror thriller video game. Something about, for everyone. That's right. About a woman who used to be in a corporation and got infected with a virus, so there's lots of zombies. <laughs> the movie was directed and written by Paul W. Thomas Anderson mm. and stars Ariana Engineer, what? Kevin Durand, Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. Lee Bingbing and Mila Jovovich. <laughs> Do that last of the previous, the penultimate name again, Dingus. Lee Bingbing. <laughs> Sli- slightly less racist than what Kelly was doing with the woman from the Expendables last week. So I'm just commenting on society, man. <laughs> Dingus, what was his rated? There's a there's a, a similar Dolph Lundgren moment though. Okay, this is R E colon R is rated R for sequences of strong violence throughout. Mm. This is so yeah. helpful. Yeah. How, how is the language? No, no language disclaimer, huh? Uh, yeah. As far as uh, the folks online, there, there's um, there's a lot less f words than you would expect from this movie uh, of R-rated caliber. And then there's a there's a badass and a few bitches, but that's about it. Okay. It's hard to go fuck as much after five movies of zombie killing. Like now they know their zombies are there, so it's like, oh, fuck. You're kind of inured to it. It's more yeah, you're kind of bored by it. You might give the zombies something to say. Why don't they say it? They should evolve to fuck. Right. Dingus, ugh, zombies don't talk. You got you have a bunch of amateurs on this podcast other than me. They shoot chain guns in this movie. Yeah, but that's the, that's, Kelly Wan, that's, the, that's the Plaga virus, Kelly Wan. That means they uh, had to read the manual to install. The Plaga Parasite. God. <laughs> wow, really? you get, these, so these movies make sense to you guys. Well, you know what? We'll get to that. But first, right. before we spoil anything, uh, Resident Evil Retribution, which I believe we had some disagreement about this. I'm pretty sure it's the fifth movie. Can yeah, I you're want... right. Okay, no. so it is the fifth in the series. Six games, five movies. It opened. Uh, good point. Right. Actually, more than six games. Um, six. <laughs> but, but five movies. There's, there's a Resident Evil 6 coming out uh, in October to look forward to. Uh, but that's the game. Uh, so the movie opened in number one. 
but uh, first place for the box office take, but only 21 million, which is the worst in the series. By how much? Uh, let's see. I think one of them, the last one, opened at like 27 million. Uh, now, if we're doing mathy stuff, the first movie actually uh, it, it made more money than the first movie because of inflation, but it sold fewer tickets. Wow, so much to not care about. <laughs> I believe they were they were always making more than the last. Uh, They're making them too fast, is my theory. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's see if we feel that that's true or not in a moment. But critically, <laughs> I don't feel it's true yet. <laughs> critically, uh, let's see, Metacritic, which gauges the average rating of reviews that use ratings. Metacritic gives Resident Evil Retribution uh, thirty nine. There you go. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which rates, which get, tells you the percentage of reviews that are positive. Kelly, why do you think it's better or worse than the Metacritic uh, aggregate rating? Uh, wait, it's the audiences. No, this is still Critic. critics. These are still the professionals, Kelly Wand. But it's not, it doesn't have a critic in the name of it as a fruit. What? Right. I'm doing. I'm. I'm guessing the Rotten Tomatoes number. Yes, so what percentage of reviews do you feel is overall positive? On Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Uh, 44. Nope, way too high, 34. 34% of the reviews are positive, so that means 66% uh, basically are thumbs down. Who cares? Some people. I care. Uh, what's that mean? I don't know what that means. Does that mean that two-thirds of the movie is bad or two-thirds of everyone on the planet hates it? Uh, this is not everyone on the planet. That would be an audience rating. This is the people who are paid, who are professionals. Right. Who are paid for their opinions. Two-thirds of them are like, nah, don't go. It, to varying degrees. Some of them might have been a little bit more vehement about it. But uh, overall, two-thirds of the, the professional paid reviewers are like, yeah, don't go. Not, not into it. Thumbs it's down. Like, it's like the Electoral College. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, if, the, if we went by that math, then Resident Evil Retribution would not be the president of the United States. It would be the Romney of uh, Resident Evil movies. I think I'm finally starting to wrap my brain around it. Well, you should, because I noticed, too, that whole Canadian production. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, if you haven't seen it, maybe you want to avoid spoilers, so you should bail now, because Kelly Wand is now about to spoil everything that happens in Resident Evil Retribution with a, a, a sort of a... a uh, what would you, Kelly Wand, a uh, sort of a regurgitation of the plot? What, what would you call it, what you're going to do? Oh, you mean a Resident Evil Retribusus? Yes, rock and roll. I like the sound of that. Are you sure? Yes. I'm kind of a tough room lately. No, no, you know what, Kelly Wand, this is a movie that I'm watching going, oh, I can't wait to hear the Kelly Wandopsis. That's usually a sign you're bored in the movie. No, not, uh, maybe, maybe not. That would be spoiling the later parts of the podcast, oh, which I'm not going to do It's suspenseful yet. to find out if you were bored for 90 minutes. <laughs> What'll happen? I mean, Resident Evil, Retribusis. You're not going to do another rock and roll? Rock and roll! Uh, I totally forget everything that happened in the last Resident Evil movie that Tom and Dingus were all gaga for. But luckily, the first five minutes of this one recaps the next five minutes in slow motion and backwards. <laughs> then does so again forwards, but in slightly faster motion. Oh, so that's why they're on an aircraft carrier. Some CG blew up. Sidebar, my mom leans over to me. I took my mom to this. Oh, wow. She flew up to Vancouver, and I took her and my stepfather to see this. Because I thought... Maybe it'll be funny. To, I don't know. 
this is a terrible idea. So my mom leans over to me and in a weirdly hopeful voice, stage whispers, is the whole movie going to be backwards? <laughs> and I go, huh? Backwards? Did you turn your 3D glasses on? She fusses with them for a bit. Allie Larder's name's not in the credits, so instead of her, they CG a guy in a gorilla suit on the deck of the aircraft carrier, exchanging pointless glances with Mila Javivrovich before some explosions also exchange glances. Larder's never mentioned again, and nobody asks about Kmart, either. That chick who got rescued at the end of the last movie, along with all those clones from the island. Sidebar. My stepfather leans past my mom and yells loudly enough for the whole theater to hear over a CG gunfight. What's this movie called? President Evil? I gently correct him by opening my mouth and falling asleep. A slow-motion dream blows up, and Mila Jovovich is a housewife with the deaf-mute kid from Orphan, really stretching her wings here as a deaf-mute kid who later isn't mute, but still accompanies her perfectly modulated words with sign language. But we care about her because she's a defective clone. They get attacked by zombies, although it's not really a fair fight, because instead of just pouncing and biting... The zombies got to open their mouths so this four-petaled CG tongue comes out and screeches for a few seconds till somebody shoots it. Also, when they hide in a closet from the zombies, Mila gestures to the mute kid to keep silent. Shh. As if sensing that the opening backwards thing wasn't enough to orient us to his vision, Paul Anderson tries to deconfuse us by having RLGF Mila Blagojevich explain the motives of the CG in the last four movies while she's inside some floating TV screens. When the little girl-shaped computer program made out of red lasers tells Mila Ditchdigger, I've heard that before, Mila goes, I've heard, I've heard that before, before, <laughs> shoots some CG. Although Sienna Guillory was how Tom and Dingus tried to entice me into seeing this shit. <laughs> the slit misfortune dress that I wish she was wearing is being worn by the Chinese chick from Expendables. Since her status is agent, as opposed to Mila Jurodeovich's super weapon, she only uses one pistol. Sienna Guillory's been brainwashed by the zombies by them stapling a silver pewter spider to her boobs. Because according to Congressman Tom Aiken, those are the best place to brainwash women in cases of legitimate brainwashing. That's <laughs> so topical. It has a red light on it, so she's evil. And it never stops working unless your opponent effortlessly detaches the spider from your chest after ten minutes of fist fighting. She and Bane sure would have to be careful fucking... <laughs> I knew. A waffle of blue lasers escorts Mila Littlest Tobo Bitch to a CG room where she fights with the Chinese chick for no reason till they stop for no reason. Then a Secret Service guy comes on TV and goes, So now you know everything. Mila Jitch draws her guns and points them grimly at nothing. Let's get the hell out of here. Secret Service is all you can't. You're in Russia, which is joined to a tunnel to Connecticut. No one's ever escaped. Actually, no one's ever come here either. It's kind of hard to find. Here's some CG to illustrate. He gestures for the camera to follow him and goes to a bookstore and takes a Thomas Guide off the shelf and waits in line to pay. <laughs> Mila's all ice and draws her guns again and shoots the TV screens. Let's get the hell out of here. Mila Wojohowicz goes back to the dream house. Her kid hugs her and goes, I hid like you said. Later she thinks the good and bad Michelle Rodriguez is her sisters, so I guess she thinks her impaled dead mom on the staircase that she just ran past disinterestedly to hug a chick who looks only vaguely like her mom is her aunt. <laughs> <sighs> a squad of third string expendables show up and ride an elevator down to the Truman Show in Russia where zombies are made they're going to blow the place up while they rescue Melahojo's bitch the 
black one, whose backstory is that he's a famous basketball star, I glumly recall, goes, Dang, motherfucker, why don't we close this shit up by his remote after we rescues the bitch? The white character goes, Because we can't risk the zombies jamming the signal. See, the way they're doing it risks all their lives, the lives of the people they're rescuing, and the fate of mankind. But if they do it by remote, they don't risk any of that. And that's a risk they can't afford to take. A zombie with a chainsaw does surprisingly well. Mill and the Chinese shit <laughs> fell up to That's the tagline. I didn't think so, but all right. Thanks. Uh, Mill and the Chinese chick blow up two of those lovable giant zombies with railroad spikes in their heads and giant cleaver hammers by tricking them into doing double takes while standing in gasoline. Even a railroad spike through the brain isn't enough to withstand a slight rise in temperature for a couple seconds. They hook up with the Michelle Rodriguez clone who's all crunchy and drives a VW made out of hemp. She's all, what's a gun do? And when the guys arrive, goes, whoa, nice dicks. But then she dies, as do all the guys except for the worst acting one. There's a fistfight at the North Pole, and then a submarine takes them all to the White House, where the Secret Service guy is sitting in the Oval Office, at which point my stepfather jumps up victoriously and goes, see? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Kelly Wan, did this win you over? After So Dingus and I were pretty fond of Resident Evil. Dingus, do you recall the subtitle of the last one? Defecation. What was it, Dingus? Afterlife. No. Life? Are you serious? Afterlife? That was the last one that Paul... They answered. weren't in an afterlife. What the fuck kind of... It doesn't matter what they were in. We discussed oh. this at the time. It was Resident Evil Afterlife. That's horrible. Uh, well, so Dingus and I were fond of Afterlife. I, I feel weird saying that now. Uh, Resident and Afterlife don't go together. Or, or evil. Uh, you know, the whole name of the Resident Evil series is based on this English mistranslation, kind of. Uh, what's what's so, the original text mean in English? Uh, well, it's just basically a clumsy translation of a Japanese horror game. Uh, Call, is that what it stands for? It's just called Japanese horror game? No, it's, there's <laughs> a... <laughs> to be Resident Evil. That's what it There's actually the whole genre of video games, survival horror, is also based on this clumsy English out of the original Resident Evil game, where it says something like, this is survival horror. Like, they actually say in the script, this is survival horror, and it became the name of the whole video game genre. So like the Big Bang, um, if you will. If you want. Uh, don't get that one, but okay, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll like take Occam's that. Razor. Uh, but, Kelly Wan, what I'm curious about, did this, uh, so Dingus and I being fans of Resident Evil Afterlife, did this bring you around to now appreciate the series more? I really wanted it to because I wanted to shock you, but I still I don't get these fucking movies. All right, stand <laughs> them. Well, uh, Dingus, th- did this then uh, like chunks of it? Did this continue the trend for you, Dingus, of being into Resident Evil Afterlife? Oh man, I still wanted it to. There's a couple things I really liked about it, but man, it's just how do you disappoint after Afterlife? The 3D sucked, I thought. And I watched Afterlife again, and it's. I'm my my uh, verdict from it stands, which I think was this is a terrible movie, and I loved it. Um, God, this is so so stupid. Ugh. 
Well, I have theories about how you disappoint this greatly after afterlife, uh, because I, too, this thing was stupid and I was bored. So I was bored for most of it and looking forward to the Kelly Wan synopsis. Uh, so, Kelly Wan, you definitely you called it. Uh, part of this is one of those movies where it was just so terrible, and I, I was hoping that your synopsis could maybe salvage the experience a bit, uh, which it did. Mm. So thank you. Mm. Um, wasn't worth it. So Kelly Wand, what uh, what is your objection to these movies? Uh, they're insistently bad. They don't let you. Appre- they don't let you laugh at how bad it is because they're too busy giving you the next bad thing. Too much hurry. Right. Hurry too then. yappy, not enough slappy. They they seem to take themselves pretty seriously. Too many characters, no good characters, mm-hmm. too repetitive. What's good about them at all? Even the gore's not good. The monsters aren't good. Well, I I think part of what's good about Afterlife, uh, and we had a whole podcast on it, but I think there was some energy and there was even a little bit of character uh, interaction in Afterlife. There were some interesting actors or maybe at least one or two that they let do a couple of interesting things there were some cool set pieces there were even a couple of bits of cool payoff like with the quarters and the shotgun um and even for fans of the video game a few nice nods to the video game that translated paul anderson translated well into the movie uh, i don't think any of those things that i just said was true of retribution of this last movie um and no it it makes the classic mistake of taking the best boss from the previous movie and just doubling it. <laughs> that's what you do in a video game, Dingus. Yeah. First that's, why I, that's why I called this a video game, because it feels like a video game. There's, there's absolutely new, there's no stake. I'm a bad video game, I should say. There's no stakes. It, it's, if it's all simulations, then who cares who dies? It's just a mess of bad bosses and just crap. And even the structure of it. So they've played in the previous movies. And and I think the high point, by the way, of the Resident Evil movies is... Is it the first one where the the compound turns against all the people working in the office and kills them? Is that the first movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the high point of the series. Like, there was some cool, clever, gory horror stuff in there. And and by the way, none of that's from the video game. Uh, And I think it kind of peaked there. And there have been flashes of enjoyable stuff since then... But, uh, Dingus, I'm with you 100%. This is, is so much like a bad video game, specifically in the way they structure this one by showing you the stupid map of the place. And they've played with that before. But here, it's all the more contrived by moving you through. And they, they even, there's no humor with this, too. They take so seriously this idea of moving you through the, uh, what, the New York sequence, and then the suburb sequence, and then the Moscow sequence, and then finally the aliens sequence. It's like every one of those is just, let's just cobble these together. And there's no meaningful connective tissue in this. It's just so slapdash and unimaginative. Uh, It goes out of its way to suck. Like, it could just lazily, like, they could just make it really simple. But instead they convolute it and make it boring. And here's one way I think it goes out of its way to suck. Um, When it cuts so often between uh, Mila Jovovich and Ada Wong, which could have been cool stuff it spends so much time going back and forth to the douchebag rescue squad 
and and then the two women and these guys what what an awful group of rescuers and we even like on this podcast Kevin Durant some of us like him from Lost others like him from that Angel movie where he played the bad guy Angel or whatever like he's a cool guy and they totally waste him here and they just like mix him in with a bunch of other random douchebags and I didn't want to see those guys when it was cutting to them fighting those weird Nazi zombies I mean that was just so it, why was that stuff even in there? I did not want to see any of that, and, and it completely missed what's cool about this series, about what makes this series good when it is good, uh, that there was just so much of that stuff. That it was just padding. How often is it good? Most of it's there's like a, this. There's know. a couple of moments where it's good, and I agree. With, I, lo- I really like Kevin Durant, and I just I, I found myself, after his last moments, wishing if this guy could get in a really good movie i would be so happy for him because he's been he was in robin hood which is a terrible movie oh god dingus that's right i forgot about that ouch uh but he's really good i i have a feeling that if he could get the right project but i but i think he just lifts weights and gets these things i i I mean (laughs) good for him for getting work i mean i can't i can't begrudge a guy getting work but if he could get a good project i would be so happy for him that's Dingus's visualization of that guy's day. <laughs> well, really, it is. I, they, the thing that frustrates me is that uh, Afterlife made me really appreciate Allie Larder, which I don't think I'd ever appreciated before, and she's really good in that. Yeah. And she's in my favorite scene in that movie. And there's, there's, and even um, I don't know how you say his name. The guy who plays Luther, the basketball player guy. Uh, he's he's good in that movie too, and he gets relegated to this squad that Tom describes as a. And, and you could just see him like, I'm with these guys. Why don't I do with these? I want to be with. Hey, coach, put me here with them. Um, but there's just nobody in this, and and the and the poor man's um, Sawyer, or uh, he looks like Tom, a poor man's Tom Brady to me as well. The the that guy Leon is horrible. Oh God! Everybody, yes. uh, everybody's horrible. Sienna Guillory, everybody's horrible in this movie. There's no Ally Larder in it. There's nobody who I thought. Oh, there's 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 a team that we could. Uh, there's nobody good in this movie. Well, because think, Dingus, like in Afterlife, one of the cool things with Afterlife is in that that, that group of survivors, Kim Coates, great Canadian yeah, actor, yeah. playing the sort of the treacherous scumbag. Like that's that that's a sort of a staple of zombie siege movies. And it was fun to watch him in a- Afterlife. You know, Afterlife had a little spark of personality in moments like that. And even some of the jokes with Luther being a basketball player, which, by the way, completely out of the window, like he was a celebrity basketball player who survived the zombie apocalypse. We don't see any of that in this movie. In here, it's just like they wanted to bring the actor back, and so they just plug him in with the douchebag rescue squad and, and let him go. Uh, so, yeah, none of that, the, the stuff that, that occasionally put a, a little personality and spark in Afterlife was, was present here. Um, and now, now, Kelly, I wanted to answer your question about, what's, question about what makes this movie good, about when is it good. Uh, when are the Resident Evils good? Um, there is, I think, a, a genre of action that I call Chicks in Tight Outfits Kicking Some Ass. Or, if you want to make an acronym out of that, it's Sitoxa. And That's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> but it's a whole genre, you know, whether you're talking about the Underworld movies or the Resident Evil movies or Charlize Theron and Aeon Flux, if you put an athletic, beautiful woman in a tight outfit and you just choreograph her doing, like, combat stuff, that right there, that can be a decent movie. No. And 
Well, I, I disagree. I mean, that I, I like action movies, and an action movie that appreciates an athletic woman's form can be cool. You know what? It doesn't. Most a, a lot of trashy action movies, they don't have character development. That's fine. You just want to see action sequences. So part of what drove these movies early on was Mila Jovovich, who's really good doing this kind of thing. Just movies appreciating her. And 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 we had that whole sequence. And Dingus, I don't know if what you're talking about in the last movie was Mila Jovovich and Ali Larder in the the shower room fighting the big zombie guy. Um, yeah. But that was a, that was a that was a, a really beautiful kind of oddly sensual uh, action sequence about these two very attractive women uh, fighting this big monster. And you know what? That's cool. I don't need a lot of connective tissue to appreciate a good sequence like that. And they and, were wet. Well, you know what? That's part. Of, it was very sexy, yeah. And and I kind of was like when when she goes in this movie into the fake Japan and it starts raining. I'm like, oh yeah, Paul Anderson is give us going to give us another little sexy fight scene, and you know nothing like that happens. Uh, um, so I feel like it's lost track of of that whole Satoksa aesthetic, partly because uh, I. I so when I'm bored, I find myself looking at things like news crawls and, and uh, TV screens and whatnot. So what I was looking at in this movie, in a lot of cases, were the outfits. And I thought that Mila Jovovich's outfit in this was absolutely unflattering. It was all these trusses and buckles, and she looked like like a 14-year-old boy. It was terrible. And she's a beautiful woman. She's very athletic. And, you know, as she's getting older, I think she's she's aging well. She, she's... She, she's great. I like Mila Jovovich. I like watching her kick ass. And they just—it seemed like I mean, she's. Isn't she married to Paul Anderson? Or am I just yeah, thinking? Yeah. Of- no, no, they're married. And what you're saying is accentuated by the fact that she starts with these two napkins on her. Very, yeah. uh, very fifth element, by the way. It's like let's put her in a weird, oddly revealing, but sort of antiseptic. Like, it's not sexy, it's weirdly clinical outfit. Yeah, yeah. She's neuter in this than she is Why in Why bother? That's clearly got to be a nude scene. I mean, that's... that's. I, I don't necessarily need to see her body, but that. why are they putting her in a couple of napkins? Well, it's torture. Well, yeah, that's the thing, Kelly Wan, especially because it's supposed to be a torture scene. I mean, I, I think part of that torture is supposed to be humiliation. And as we all know from Abu Ghraib, like, part of humiliating people is, is stripping them naked. And I thought it was odd, too. It's why is she wearing those two napkins? Uh, because she's been nude in movies. It's not like Mila Jovovich is, has some claws or she's not going to be naked. But, yeah, that, that was... napkin phase. And very unflattering as well. Like, yeah, and that sets up, and they, they added more buckles to this outfit than the Afterlife one, and you're right, Tom, it makes it less flattering. Now here, though, the deal is. well, and, and here's another thing, too, that I, I was noticing out of my boredom, is look what they did with Sienna Guillory's outfit, because that, by the way, all curves, a lot of cleavage, like that looked really kind of sexy, and we see very little of her until the end. Most of the time, she's literally just like standing still, Shooting a gun, looking grim, and that—that's what, what a what a waste because she and she's blonde. I think she, I don't know if that's a liability or an asset, but I think she's beautiful. I like her being blonde. Uh, yeah, and, but- and here's the other thing: the Ada Wong outfit. There's a moment where she's standing in the doorway in the suburban sequence, and uh, all the the. The, I think Kelly Wan, you said they were third-rate expendables. Like all the little doppelganger squad out there opens fire on her, and she leaps out of the way, and that dress flies up, and you just see these exquisite thighs. I mean, I thought that poor actress was horrible, but she's a beautiful Ugh. woman, and I 
love that slit dress that she had on. And you know what? Like thighs are the new cleavage as far as I'm concerned. And that, that looked glorious, but there was so little appreciation of that. Um, you know, there, and instead it was like Mila Jovovich, who should be our main chick in a tight outfit kicking some ass, and she's all trussed, buckled up in that, that horrible thing. It looks like something from a Hellraiser movie. Uh, more than this like sexy tight outfit. So I think they're losing this appreciation for for what makes Mila Jovovich cool in these movies, and they're sort of parceling it out to second-rate characters who we don't see much of. Um, and he's also losing a sense of place, because one of the things I oh. loved about that fight that you just referenced, the Alley Larder fight, is it's in this prison uh, shower, and there's all this, like Kelly said, this water showering down because of the Askarov, like, knocking all the pipes loose. And it's just got all these tiles that are shattering and, yeah. and toilets that are shattering. And and what he does here is he throws it into this white hallway with nothing going <laughs> for it at all. It's like, we can't afford a set today. And even the 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 Ascroft, double Ascroft fight in this with it, in the city, we know it's just a simulation. So none of it matters. None of it has any weight. And the main fight is either on snow or in a white corridor. Good job! Well, Dingus, that first main fight, of course, that was the tutorial sequence. Ah, good point. That's before you put in the graphics. Uh, and that, by the way, I, I hadn't given up on the movie at that point because I did kind of like the choreography, and I, I kind of take back a little bit of what I was saying because there was some really cool choreography with her dual-wielding the gun and the chain. Uh, but all that went out the window. Like, I liked that sequence. I liked the opening sequence. Everything else was just, like, forgettable junk as far as I'm concerned. Um, oh, oh yeah. no, I, I love that bike chain sequence, but, but all I can think about is... It's not set anywhere. It's yeah, set in yeah. a temporary track, and they didn't bother to fill in the CG or something. It's it, it's really frustrating. For the most part, I thought that Resident Evil Retribution was a slightly less incompetent version of Sucker Punch. But one one of the things <laughs> where at, at least Sucker Punch had these crazy, glorious, wacky senses of place as it jumped around from, from place to place. I mean, it didn't redeem it much, but... It, it, it had more of a sense of place that, than Retribution did. Uh, They're both terrible. I agree. I, I definitely agree. Kellyanne, come on. You, you liked seeing a little Michelle Rodriguez, though, didn't you? No. <laughs> I think I'm the only Michelle Rodriguez fan here. Uh, no, I, I, I love her. Uh, and I, I, I said, I think when we did the, the last podcast, that I, I went back and watched the first movie. I just thought she was so good in it. Um, but I did... Because I do like her so much, and I like the fact that she's playing different characters in this movie. I looked up what she... I, I just was looking up, and she had something hilarious to say about this movie. Oh, really? Like, uh, let's let's hear this. What does Michelle Rodriguez think of Resident Evil Retribution? Well, well she, she talks about how the director uh, has really been true to the video game form. And, and one of the quotes I read is that... He's done a really great job of maintaining the integrity of the liquors, the zombies, all the mutants, <laughs> and the genetic viruses, and all of that stuff. He- whoa, 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 whoa. The first one was liquors? So that, by the way, uh, that big brain monster, that uh, the, the brain-headed thing with the tongue, that, that's in the video games, and it's called a liquor. Because its tongue wow. shoots out. But the difference is, and I completely disagree with Mr. Rodriguez, because liquors in the video game, they're like the size of little terriers. They're like little dog-sized things that scurry around. Uh, this one was, you know, the, the size of, a, of, of an elephant. 
So I disagree with Miss Rodriguez's assessment of the integrity that's maintained in this movie. Wow. Well, she goes on to say he plays Worst pretty good ever close attention to make sure he satisfies all the geeky fans who will demolish the <laughs> franchise if, if he doesn't do those things. So I just <laughs> love that he paid good attention to the liquor. See? I will say, so uh, a recent Resident Evil game that came out is called Resident Evil Operation Raccoon City. And you don't play any of the main characters, but you're a... Uh, Dingus, it's not funny. That's the name of the game. It's a real thing. I know. Uh, umbrellas and raccoons are so terrifying. I love that. Dingus, that's racist, first of all, because it's. I'm sure it sounds better in Japanese. Um, but anyway, in Operation Raccoon City, there's one scenario where you're fighting. You're on a street, and there's wrecked cars everywhere, and you're fighting one of those big bosses. I don't even remember. I don't know if it's specifically the guy with the hammer with the railroad spikes in his head that Kelly Wan mentioned. But in that scene, in that part in the video game you have to fight this boss and you're running around in cars and you're trying to dodge it is you're trying to dodge his hammer and whatnot and you're supposed to play with four players uh but sometimes somebody will drop out of your game it's a co-op game so i was playing it and at one point everyone dropped out and it was just me fighting that big thing and i had pistols and i'm literally just emptying clip after clip after clip after clip into its head waiting for it to die and I thought the movie briefly captured that sensation uh, by just showing them shooting bullets into the thing's head. Because as you know, you do more damage when you shoot things in the head. Why doesn't it have armor on its head? Well, it's, it, it has a sack. It's cloth armor, Kelly Wand. Mm. I didn't know we had that tech yet. <laughs> uh, who here was hoping that she would keep wearing those sexy red map glasses for the rest of the movie? I was very disappointed that those didn't stay on her. I didn't want him on her face. Uh. <laughs> One thing that I was hoping... That uh, I, was I was taunting Tom, but he wouldn't... This, wouldn't this weird wish it. I had, because I was trying to figure <laughs> out, why is Beth deaf? Why did they make that choice? Right. Turns out it was it was just based, it was just a casting. It's just something that happened because of casting. But uh, but I'm as I'm sitting... Yeah, because they, they chose to go with um, Ariana Engineer, uh, from, as you said, from the, um, the Orphan movie. And, uh, and they, they wait had, a minute, wait a minute, let's back up. So that really is the little, uh, hearing impaired the girl. Exact same it, character. That's really the actress from Orphan who's really hearing impaired? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, well, now I feel. to like the movie. I know, I feel awful now for hating the movie. Tom hates the handicapped. So, Dingus, you, you say that it was just because they cast her that that became part of the, the story? Yeah, according to the things written about the movie, it wasn't necessarily the character wasn't written as hearing impaired, but they liked her so much for the part that they just rewrote that. And I wonder if if Oded Fair got the part of the father because he can sign pretty well or what. Um, but no, he was in previous movies, but they they did a pretty good job with that. But what I was wondering and what I was kind of hoping would happen during the torture sequence is they were messing with her ears so much. Oh, I like where you're going, Dingus. I was hoping that what was going to happen was that she was going to go deaf. Dingus, and that, on the script for the next Resident Evil movie. Get on that. Let's green light that. We'll get. We'll put it through quickly. Give us some character development like that. I like it. Too easy. I'll go right. I'll go right for that. Because I just thought, oh no, that's why they're doing that, and that's why her daughter was deaf. Because she's going to go deaf, and there's going to be this whole plot line that's going to spin out of that. But no, it's just uh, her ears hurt. You're so much better than this movie. So I will say, even though I was so over the movie by that point, I thought the uh, you're not mommy, are you? I am now. 
I thought that exchange was awesome. Like in a decent uh, movie, that would have been great. I mean, the movie aliens rip off the whole thing. No, yeah, it, it is total newt, but but I did love, I did, I did feel for that at least. Yeah, that exchange, not that that whole thread. So no, that whole thread was stupid. Like I said, that was the aliens sequence. But that little exchange is a little bit of script writing. You're not mommy, are you? When she sees all those other clones and Mila Jovovich says, "Well, I am now," and then kicks something's ass. That was great. I I like that. Uh, I wish it had been in a better movie. Is that in the ring, Kelly Wand? She, there's a lot of mommy lines, a lot of zingers with mommy in them. By the way, That's it, what we're really talking about, Tom. Thank you. Although she left her with Michelle Rodriguez early in the... I didn't understand why the, the good Michelle Rodriguez shows up and says, this is a really cool place. Why is everything in Russian? Well, then why are you there? I don't... Oh, that's right. Did she stumble out of the suburban scenario into the Moscow scenario and not... Like, she got lost, I guess. Get it? <laughs> uh, wait, so I didn't know this. Uh, is throwing up horns sign language for I love you? I thought it was for uh, Dio. One, two, three, uh-huh. me, you and me. Got one, eight, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, uh, I feel bad now. By the way, I'm going to do uh, one of my three by threes will be best use of a mop, and it will include Resident Evil Retribution. What? She uses a mop is, to escape from the for? zombie. I don't know. I what? She uses a mop to escape from the zombies by poking a hole in the ceiling. First off, and why then, are you saying mop? Weird. It's my first question. Mom, you say it? That is funny because oh, when she poked the hole in the ceiling, it was a perfect square. Is that there had oh, already yeah. been a square? Oh, but it's a it's a Truman Show. It's a CG ceiling. It also did that awesome thing Tom loves, where a zombie is quiet in a closet for a while. Oh God, oh, I cannot freaking hate. I hate zombie scares. All right, let's do a three by three. Yes, Kelly Wand. Zombie scares. Zombies don't lunge out at you and scare you. The whole thing about zombies is that they are slow and shuffling, and they they are inevitable, but they're not sudden. They're inedible. <laughs> do not eat a zombie, Kelly Wand. It's not good for you. Uh, all right. Let's do a three-by-three. Three. Hmm. I think this is Dingus. Dingus, what do you have for us this week for a three-by-three? By the way, if you're oh. listening, keep listening till the end, because we have a new feature for listeners. We do? Yeah. You'll see. I can't wait. Yeah. All right, so Dingus, what do we got this week? Brief. Uh, these are your three favorite temper tantrums in movies. Mm. And so last week, I, uh, I, as my example, I counted the Goodfellas moment where Jimmy hears that um, Joe Pesci's character has not become a made man, but has instead met some other fate, and then he destroys the payphone that he's talking to because he's having a temper tantrum. So these are your favorite temper tantrums in movies. All right. Uh, I am going first because I am introducing next week's 3 by 3 So let's see. My number three, and by the way, when you say temper tantrum, Dingus, I think, I don't know if this applies. Yeah, I guess it applies to the Goodfellas scene. But I think of of, uh, an outburst of rage that is weak and ineffectual and childish, that that is not like, not a legitimate, like angry kind of scene. Uh, Like this sort of ineffectual venting of rage. Uh, so that that's sort of what I was going for with each of my three picks. Uh, and specifically for my picks, something that would tell you something about the character. Um, yes. So my number three is from a movie that was made before I was born, 
and I don't get to pick many of these. So I'm happy to pick this one. Uh, and not only that, I don't think it's a very good movie. Um, but I love the temp- temper tantrum, even though I think it's an ill-placed temper tantrum. I think it makes no sense, and it's a little bit ridiculous. But what I love about it is how good the actor is at selling it. So the movie is, uh, it belongs to a genre that Dingus has called junkies are tedious. Because there's this whole thing about when you watch a movie about a junkie or a drug-addicted person, or, or so often, there's just this sense of tedium, and I don't... Because junkies are tedious. And you watch a 90-minute or 2-hour two two movie about junkies, oh, God, it's so tedious. This is in that genre. But it's not about junkies, it's about alcoholics. And there's a Blake Edwards movie from 1962 called Days of Wine and Roses with uh, Jack Lemmon and Lee Remick. And the movie is kind of a... Uh, a polemic for Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, it's the kind of movie that's made by AA members, for AA members. Uh, the main character is all about how he gets redeemed by AA. Um, and what it does is almost takes this reefer madness approach to showing Jack Lemmon's alcoholism. Uh, and at one point in the middle of the movie, uh, as he's trying to turn his life around, he's working at a landscaping business. Um, and he he falls off the wagon, and he gets a drink, and he goes into this crazy blind rage looking for a bottle of alcohol that is hidden somewhere in a greenhouse. So as you can see, the metaphor is that he's using this landscaping business to rebuild his life, and then he falls off the wagon, and he tears up the greenhouse and tears down his life again. And it's basically Jack Lemon raging in this greenhouse looking for alcohol and jack lemon is such a good everyman and he's good at light comedy but to just watch him raging like this it's like it's like gene hackman kicking heroin in, in french connection too it's it's completely ridiculous but just so convicted and i i just i love how weird and kind of out of place uh that tantrum is so there you go there's my number three has either of you seen days of wine and roses no yes it has from a time, you know, Dingus watches some of those old movies. I don't watch movies about sobriety. <laughs> well, it's, it's, only half, it's only half about sobriety. The other half is about drunkenness. By the way, I love uh, in Days of Wine and Roses, they're constantly referring to uh, booze, which is one of those like antiquated terms like uh, like scram or dame. You don't generally hear people talk about booze. Yeah, you do. Who? Nobody says booze. Everybody says booze in my family. Booze? Raised in a barn. Booze? Yeah. Ah. And we call it hooch too. You don't do that. <laughs> you've been watching uh you've been watching uh, Lawless a lot, haven't you? I'm a wino. <laughs> as long as you're not a hobo. Uh, that one's kind of All right, Kelly One, what is your number three pick for a favorite temper tantrum? Mm, I picked ones I identified with because I'm always angry. Mm-hmm. So my number three is far. Like ago. the whole- Right, exactly. There's no rules to my being angry, but I help my friends. I, I like this. This is my runner-up. I like this one a lot. Fargo with the uh, wood. Wait, not the wood. Not the wood chipper. That pl- snow, thing. snow chipper. Was it called? Scraper? Uh, scraper, yeah. A little windshield snow scraper. scraper. It looks really... You know what I like about it a lot is how ineffective the tool it looks. So it's like he's using poorly made implement. Would you say it's a metaphor? For what? For his role in the movie? Who's <laughs> Jerry Lundegaard? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, wait, I think we're talking about two different movies. Anyway, that's my number three. 
the uh, ice chip or the ice scraper in uh, Fargo. I like that one. Uh, Bill Macy sells it. Bill, you know what? Bill Macy has his own special brand of ineffectual anger that he does. Yeah. That's that's Aesthetic. kind of his stick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, it's like uh, stuff you got to do before. You get in a car. <laughs> and the weather's miserable. Miser- weather's miserable, and you have to go somewhere to go do something <laughs> shitty. So it's like you have to wait and slog through Drear to get to the wretched pot of shit at the end of the shit right <laughs> That's why, you know what? Life is hard enough. Why would you live up there? Uh, exactly. He doesn't need to. He picked that place. Right. He but picked it- the one place in the world where it's hard to murder your wife, probably. <laughs> I read. Uh, all right, Fargo is a good one. I Fascinating that. one. All right, yes. Dingus, what do you got to top that? All right, here's a quote from it. Ah, yes. We're not a bank, Jerry. <laughs> that sounds like Fargo. It's either that or Jerry Maguire. It's it's the same, the exact same one Kelly uh, chose uh, because of what uh, how Tom introduced what he was going for. I love how ineffectual this temper tantrum is. And and everything that leads up to it and how frustrated he is uh, right before the scene. He's, he thinks he's going in for this wonderful triumph where he gets this real estate deal with his father-in-law, finally. And his father-in-law is you know, a total dick and, and freezes him out. And he walks, he marches out across the snow into this empty parking lot. And he sits in the car for a couple of minutes, just breathing that cold air, then gets back out and just starts beating on the windshield and just loses control of his body so that the the scraper flies off. <laughs> and then he just, uh, and he goes, picks it up. And just as he did in the, in the, in the moment where they're asking him what his finder's fee is, he just resigns himself to going ahead and going back to scraping. I love that temper tantrum. I, I had, I had actually imagined it had something to do with him breaking off the windshield wipers, but it has nothing to do with that. It's, he's not even that effective. He just freaks out. It, it goes flying out of his hands and then he goes, uh, goes back to it. Dingus, do you think they CG'd the windshield scraper to make it fly out of his hand convincingly? I hope they CG'd his breath because it looks really <laughs> good. There's a lot of good tantrums in that movie. The Coen brothers know how to do tantrums. I'll give them that. The Indian guy with the belt is a good tantrum. Save it for the runners-up. Oh, I see. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you'll scoop. Maybe that was my number one. (laughs) By the way, I did think of uh, when Dingus said that. I hope I'm not scooping anyone. Uh, Tom Cruise's weird little tantrum in Jerry Maguire when he quits. Did I scoop anyone on that? Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a tantrum. Though. Yeah, come on, don't you think it's a it's a weak, ineffectual expression of rage? Nah, he's not mad. Kelly yeah, he is. is mad when she punches him. He just got fired. Wait, you're thinking of Top Gun? I don't know if a, ta- a tantrum involves like yelling or destruction. I think he's just saying these fish have manners. That's not a tantrum. Okay, Kelly, one, you do that at your job and see how well it's received. You'll be, <laughs> you'll be written up for a tantrum. Uh, right. <laughs> All right, my number two, uh, and I would be surprised if this isn't on at least one of your lists, uh, is a subjective representation of a character experiencing a tantrum. It's not the first time we see it in the movie. Uh, one of the ways they show it is by uh, having the character in a contained area, and they, they distort the sound while it's happening. Uh, and it's the bathroom tantrum that Adam Sandler throws in Punch Drunk Love 
where uh, he we've seen him earlier in the movie sort of throw a tantrum and and break a plate glass and surprise everyone. Uh, but now in the bathroom, we experience it with him more subjectively. Uh, and I love how Paul Thomas Anderson does that kind of stuff in Punch Drunk Love uh, and specifically that bathroom tantrum. I think he doesn't he tear up a paper towel dispenser. He tries. What, what's awesome about this is my number two as well. Uh, what's awesome is is that it feels like, and uh, hopefully we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks as well. It feels like it's um, almost improved, where he's destroying things. You're just going to go in here and you're going to destroy things. Right. And he goes after this soap dispenser and he just can't get it. <laughs> <laughs> It foils him. Like it's 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 like in Fargo where uh, he's stymied by a windshield scraper. Here he's stymied by a soap dispenser. He's like pulling on that thing. And what's cool about it is that Paul Thomas Anderson cuts away from it before we get to the end of the tantrum, and he just shows up back to the tape. <laughs> and he gets called out for it too. By the way, uh, yeah. I love that sequence. Uh, <laughs> and the way that the way that scene starts with her. Uh, telling the what what his sister told him. Oh, that's right. That's what makes him mad. I forgot about. Yeah, yeah. She says that your sister told me this story about you, and his hand sort of flies up to his face, and he controls it. And she looks. She notices that, but she goes on with the anecdote about him building a ramp and throwing a hammer through a window, or throwing a hammer through the sliding glass door. And he says, "My sister's a liar. I have to go to the bathroom." God, I love that. Kelly Wan, what do you? Adam Sandler, greatest actor alive or not? He's a good tantrumer, but I was thinking about how we should redesign bathrooms because that's always where we go to have a tantrum because we want privacy. Like, oh, excuse me, and then you go into the bathroom, and then it's like you're surrounded by glass and fragile things. That's why soap dispensers are made so heartily. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but anyway, um, what are we talking about? We are now, Kelly Wan, talking about your number two choice for a tantrum. Oh, my number two favorite temper tantrum in a motion picture is in Jonathan Winter's movie, Mad World, because it's the longest one when he tears up a gas station from those two guys. Okay, first of all, you're not saying the name right. It's Mad Mad World. It's mm, the Mad going. World. Mad World Mad. Mad World 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 Mad. Mm, is it, yeah, is it? I, I don't think you have enough Mads. Is it five? It's just Mad World, and then if you watch the uncut, it's Mad 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 World. So I don't remember anything about that movie. But Jonathan Winters throws a temper tantrum. Yeah, they think he's. Uh, wait, who is it? Dingus, help me out. You're from the '60s. Who's the guy? Uh, Mel. Who's Milton Berle? Tells him that he's crazy. So these two gas station attendants put tires on him and try to like uh, throw him into a trunk. But they, they put tires on him, like that whole thing, like. Like, around his arms where he can't move? Yeah, yeah. And he's saying things like, you're going to get it. He says stuff like that. I like it when people become incomprehensible when they get a temper tantrum. That's another criterion. You can't understand what they're saying. Right. It's part of the whole ineffectuality of the tantrum. Right. All right. Good. That's my number two. You so, see that movie? So what does he What does he do, actually? I, I missed what you said that he actually does. Uh, he, ter- he demolishes a gas station and two twin brothers and kills them. What? I think he kills them in mad 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 world are you nobody gets die. killed really i haven't seen i'm i'm i may have never seen that or maybe i've seen bits of it as a kid but you I can't think kill Bill silvers drowns in it and what? don Knotts gets buried alive <laughs> i don't remember 
I think Tim Conway is putting a pit with a pendulum over it. This sounds There's, awesome. I'm going to have to see this. Ethel Merman uh, is torn apart by elephants. Whoa, really? Yeah, I know. It's a really good movie. It's really good. Dang, is that? I'm going to have to watch that. Okay, good. good it's like Smokey and the Bandit, but uh, set in the circus. <laughs> all right, Dingus, we know your number two pick is Punch Drunk Love. So far, Dingus is the least original of all of us. All of his picks have been taken. Um, so we're going to my number one. Uh, so this is, is another example of an ineffectual expression of rage, and it, it says a lot about the character. And it is also a completely atypical tantrum. You watch this scene, and if you didn't have context for it, if you didn't know what had immediately preceded it, you would think, that's not a tantrum. You know, why are you picking that one, Tom? That's, there's no tantrum going on there. Uh, and it's from one of a movie that, God, I love so much. I wish more people saw it. Uh, a Sidney Lumet movie uh, called Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Uh, which is, it starts out as kind of a heist movie, but over the course of the movie, it gradually morphs into this modern Greek tragedy uh, about a family. Uh, and there's a point in it, it stars Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke, uh, and there's a point in it where a whole bunch of bad stuff happens to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Basically, he gets horrible news, and his wife leaves him, and he's left alone in his house, uh, the character over the course of the movie, we've learned a lot of things about him. He's sort of calculating. He's, he's calm. He's, he's really, he's so about being in control. Uh, so all this terrible stuff happens. He's left alone in his house. And I almost don't want to describe it. I want to say you should see it. But the temper tantrum that Philip Seymour Hoffman throws in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, uh, hands down my favorite tantrum in a movie for this weak, ineffectual expression of rage and for what we learn about his character. How he tears up that house is amazing. I love that one. That's one of my runners-up. I love that so much. I watched that again, and God, Philip Seymour Hoffman, jeez, a Pete, what, did, what, did, what an amazing actor. Yeah. And God, why doesn't, why doesn't that movie, why, don't, why doesn't everybody know that movie and quote lines from it, Dingus? I don't know. We begged them. <laughs> I, mean, I know Kelly has, has felt the same way we did. Yeah, seen that. Oh, that's true. Uh, another thing too. I agree with you. That uh, that Carter Burwell soundtrack and before the devil knows you're dead. It's just freaking heartbreaking. God, I love that music. Mm-hmm. Uh, too. <laughs> Kelly White. Well, his, I his see music. It. I mean, you you know, watching the um, the Fargo scene again, and I had just seen Miller's Crossing again a couple weeks ago. <sighs> you watch that, that every guy. Three weeks? That's not fair. Well. That's the schedule I'm on. That's not my fault. <laughs> um, that guy, when when uh, when Jerry sits in the car and the music just shifts slightly, God, that guy's so yeah. Good. Kelly Wand has made fun of one of my favorite lines about any music ever was when we were watching the Spider-Man movie with Kelly Wand and he went, "I agree with the music." Uh, <laughs> anytime that the music is trying to, but, but Carter Burwell's music just. It flows so well with what's going on, and it's kind of like so emotionally in tune with the movie. Uh, God, I just love what that guy does. So, all right, I don't so, agree with the music at the end of Return of the Jedi. Who could? Yeah, because you hate Ewoks. Oh wait, I got Men of Honor. What is your number one pick for a, a favorite tantrum in a movie? Mm, this is a tough one. Okay. So that's why mine, that's preface to, that's why mine's so bad. We know it will be the judge of that, Kelly Wand. All right, mine's from uh, The Matrix prequel, uh, Johnny Mnemonic, when 
Ken Reeves says that he's had enough of it and he doesn't want to be where he's at and he wants room service and a club to sandwich and a sounds- Mexican beer and his shirt's laundered. Wait, like- you know what? I thought of a better one. Okay, wait, what, what? I was going to say, it sounds like you ran out of steam on this 3x3. Three three. <laughs> yeah, that one's to, You don't get to think of a better one, by the way. You can choose this one, and then you can give us a runner-up later. <laughs> I don't even remember. I, I remember so little about that Matrix, the Matrix prequels. I, I just basically remember this overwhelming sense of, oh, God, as I was watching them. <laughs> no, I like it when... Johnny Mnemonic isn't a Matrix prequel stop it what it's Keanu reeves and it's uh william gibson's in it oh he's not even talking about the matrix movies he's talking about johnny and mike i see that's where i was lost yeah he's mentioned five movies so far for his number one choice (laughs) did wait so but i like when people have temper tantrums in movies and the first thing they rattle off of their grievances is a food item i want a club sandwich i always think that's cool Kelly Wan, do you know a song from Repo Man by the Suicidal Tendencies called... What the heck is that called? Where the, the guy just wants a Pepsi? What the heck is the name of that song? Oh, Institutionalized. Do you know that song, Kelly Wand? Yeah. Wait, who are you saying that was by? <laughs> uh, there's a punk group called uh, the Suicidal Tendencies, and oh. they, had, they had a song in Repo Man called Institutionalized where the kid just wanted a Pepsi. It was a fixture of anybody. It, it, anybody who was into punk back in the '80s would know it. Uh, you were probably listening to like Wang Chong and stuff like that. Punk rock's not a tantrum; it's poetry. <laughs> I would. I think it's ineffectual rage. So there you go. So All right. So uh, Kelly Wands is some indeterminate Keanu Reeves movie for your number one pick. <laughs> uh, it's, the it's, ma- it's the the Matrix prequel, the one where it was more about character instead of CG, because he's a courier. Ah, I see. And the guy has that awesome with with weapon that cuts. Dolph Lundgren's in it as Jesus. Remember? I like that. Dingus, what do you got to top that? Uh, <laughs> Kelly, are you done now? <laughs> yeah, sorry. That just came out of me. Alright, uh, my number my number one uh surprisingly hasn't been chosen by either one of you. Oh wait a minute. Um, You're supposed to just pick ones we like. Dingus. Sorry, my number one is... Give us a line. Give us a line. The Family devil. Feud's the one where you want to be the least original, and that's how you win. <laughs> I heard him trying to pick Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I know for a fact you already said that was on your runners-up, so I know you were trying to punk us. Dingus, give us a line from your number one pick for a tantrum. Maybe you could do it in character as part of the tantrum. Right. They took everything? Let me call you back, Petey. Petey? Pete's Dragon. Wait, it's, uh, what's the Ben Kingsley movie? Oh, oh, uh, 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 Sexy Beast or Gandhi. Gandhi's yeah, pretty pissed standards were legendary. <laughs> what? Let me call you back, Petey. What? what <laughs> That's how we, Gandhi won, because his tantrums impressed <laughs> what I read in history. A movie with someone named Petey who's being called back. I don't know. The Little Rascals star. Right, ah, before right. this, when Petey was mentioned, it was, you wrote a bad song, Petey. Uh... What accent was that? Was that his Sean Bean, Kelly Wand? That's my Sean Bean. This is Orson. Actually, you're you're more right than you know, since the character's name is um, his last name is Bean. Actually, it's Frank oh, Mr. Bean. Bean. Mr. Bean. Oh, I thought it was a Mr. Bean. Frank Bean. Dingus, there's no movie with a character named Frank Bean. That's absurd. No, it's a James Bond villain, I think. Frank Bean. Yeah, he 
<laughs> yeah, he farts, James Bond. <laughs> what is Dingus on about? I don't know this movie, Dingus. I never know. Uh, I think it's Franklin Bean, actually. Yeah, no. The, uh, uh, what did you just do? Me? All right, so this is... Uh, this is uh, Mr. Bean is part of a, a trifecta of, of uh, Bean... Uh, Boggs and bo- uh, Bents. <laughs> oh, he's doing a... What's freaking, he fucking talking about? Like, I know, it's a Fantastic Mr. Fox reference, but I don't remember a tantrum in that. Am oh, I, right? I love this tantrum. Yeah, it's Fantastic Mr. Fox. And it's uh, it's after the oh. Mr. Fox and all of his friends and family have been driven underground, and he decides they're going to go get provisions and get back at um, the three guys by by tunneling under their their uh, their warehouses and stealing everything back. And so they take everything. And he lands in this pile of, of loot and he says, We've taken everything. And then the camera shifts to this trailer where uh, Bean is sitting there on the phone and he says, They took everything? And then he proceeds to demolish the trailer. He rips the curtains off. He wipes everything off the table. He throws the books off the shelves. He runs outside and throws a bicycle. And then he has a wrench and he's about to destroy his. Still, because he makes the alcoholic cider, and he says, I've got an idea. And I love that temper tantrum. Kelly Wan, do you remember any of that? Wait, what was he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Fantastic Mr. Fox, a, uh, a, a cartoon temper tantrum. That doesn't <laughs> count. That's a documentary, practically. <laughs> <laughs> so for a runner-up, while we're on the subject of cartoons, and I don't think this counts because it's not ineffectual, nor is it weak. But I seem to recall liking that Robert Zemeckis Beowulf for how it made the Grendel attack seem more like a temper tantrum than anything else. Genghis, uh, back well, me up on that. Well, that's a good one. I like that. because I'm a Beowulf so, apologist. Yeah, because uh, that's one of the things that's wonderful, because he becomes sympathetic because of that. Yeah, yeah. He's just like this, this raging child, but because he's a powerful monster, it's like eviscerating vikings or whatnot uh and it's because his hearing because he can't stand sounds yeah. his ear hearing is so cute right yep so that that one i'm not interested in his jewelry <laughs> uh so other runners up kelly one what do you got what other runners up do you got uh i liked <laughs> in die hard does it count when bruce willis uh like wrapped a chain around uh, alexander gudnov's neck that oh, seems chilly fuck that seems pretty effectual. <laughs> oh, the, the, the one from Die Hard you want is when he comes in and when uh, Goodenough comes in and jams his gun into the ice cart. <laughs> Jeez, Dingus, man, why do you remember little obscure things like that? Because I just remember the secretary going, that man is totally pissed. And then uh, Bonnie Bedelia goes, he's still alive. Uh, it's such a great movie, isn't it? That's a good pick, Dingus. I might have to stick that on my list instead of Days of Wine and Roses. Why can't they redo that movie well? It's weird, isn't it? Days of Wine and Roses? No. Oh, also, Witches of Eastwick. I was trying to think of a Jack Nicholson tantrum, because he has a lot of good ones. Like in The Shining, he has a few. I don't. I don't know that I. Uh, Jack Nicholson doing tantrums like that's so much. That's well, it's such shtick. I mean, Nicholson can be a good actor, but you don't believe he's genuinely angry. Come on, all that stuff in The Shining where he's like yelling. I, what are you I, saying? 
I don't. What's wrong with that for you? It's just like it's almost like a, it's almost like when Al Pacino went over the top, like and stopped being convincing, just doing tantrums. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that's uh, I don't know. Wait, so if an a- unless an actor starts out at a high volume in his career, you're like, no, windows shut. If you don't yell in your twenties, it's if you if you look at the arc of an actor's career and it becomes increasingly tantrum oriented, and that describes Al Pacino and and Jack Nicholson. Yes, I feel like. <laughs> feel like it's a, a tantrum a crush. crush. Yeah. Uh, I will say, uh, and here's another tantrum-oriented, an actor whose career is a trajectory of tantrums. Uh, Nicolas Cage has this awesome alphabet tantrum in a movie called Vampire's Kiss. Oh, my God. Where he's complaining about his secretary being unable to file things correctly, and he just lists off the letters of the alphabet, and it's, it's classic early Nicolas Cage before his tantrums became crutches. So... I'll put that his one out. Voice. Can you do his voice in that? I cannot, and I don't know what accent that is. It's this weird, otherworldly Nicolas Cage thing that only he can do. Uh, yeah, I have no <laughs> idea like, what that is. How do you lose it? It's you file it under A. <laughs> Dings, I almost want you to keep going, but I don't want to set you That's up to not fail. That's bad. <laughs> That's not bad, but if you if you went any further into the alphabet, I think your, your uh, impression would fall apart. So I'll there stop you, you there. I agree, but that's I didn't even think of that one, but that is awesome. Uh, you guys haven't seen this. I, I wrote about it uh, recently on the, the front page of the forum. There's a horror movie called VHS, which is an anthology uh, of found footage shorts. And I, I, it's questionably a tantrum, but there's a, a short, like the second sequence in the movie is called Amateur Night, and there's a character named Lily in it. And I only know that's her name from the credits. I don't know if they ever say her name, but she engages in a tantrum late in the short that I don't want to say anything about, but that I would be tempted to put on this list, or at least as a runners-up, is Lily's quote-unquote tantrum in Amateur Night in the movie VHS. Kelly, you should see VHS. Dingus, you may not be ready for it. I only see movies uh, about Betamax. There's a Ty West sequence in it. Is that All right, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's a sequence by David Bruckner, and specifically this Amateur Night sequence is by David Bruckner, who Dingus knows as one of the directors of his favorite horror comedies, The Signal. Mm, so he got me. Yeah. Which, which, uh, fear of signals. which sequence? Did he direct my favorite sequence? He did the first one. No, he didn't do the one that, that you don't understand. Uh, uh, too bad. Yeah. So VHS cook, is, you said it's an anthology then? It is, uh, yes, it's an anthology. It's it's about uh, five different directors. Yeah, five different Therefore directors. Therefore, not a movie, according to Tom. Kind of not a movie, yeah. Uh, and they're all based on found footage. Like, the whole idea is that this is a VHS tape that, that you would find, and there are crazy things on it. That sounds kind of good. Like, it could be good. You, you should definitely see it, Kelly Wand. All right. Uh, yeah. All right, other runners-up for tantrums. Um... Wait, in movies? <laughs> <laughs> All right, are you guys ready for next week's 3 by 3 Yes. Are we? Yes. All right. When you see a movie, or play, or whatever, but we're a podcast about movies, characters need motivation. Now, this is usually, I think, uh, the easiest one to go for is love, which is universal. Everybody understands that, where a character does something because he or she loves or cares about someone else, or even just himself. But second to that motivation, a lot of times is money, which is much easier to represent than love. Love is messy, it's intangible, vague, entirely subjective, you have to have good actors. But if you just throw out money, the audience is all like, well, yeah, you know, a fellow needs money, that makes sense. But the next question then that you have to answer when you make money your motivation for a character is, 
how much money? And that tells you how high the stakes are. <laughs> so, for instance, I think I, I'm, I'm coming around to a point. I'm coming around to a point. I'll get there okay. in a minute. <laughs> so, so for instance, take the movie Trading Places, where uh, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. Wait, is that right? Eddie Murphy and Dan yeah. Aykroyd get put through all this stuff, and at the end, the two old guys who were Don Amici and don't remember the other guy, but it turns out they had a bet for. Right. No, uh, it was an old guy. They had they had a bet for a dollar. And that was the big reveal in Trading Places. Uh, in Austin Powers, we had a great gag where he, you know, uh, Dr. Evil gets unfrozen and he hatches this plot to destroy the world unless they give him a million dollars. And there's a great <laughs> joke there about how a million dollars is not really that much. Uh, a movie that we all love. Kelly Wan, here's a quiz for you. How much money does Quint want in Jaws to catch the shark versus how much he's going to get if he just finds it? Do you remember? 30 Wait, see, you're thinking in, in 2012 dollars, in 1975 dollars. I don't know if you remember. Quint was going to catch the shark for 10,000 bucks. <laughs> and right. hang it for 15. No, not even that. He's going to find it for 3,000, which is what the town, the the city council of Amity offers as a reward, a paltry 3,000 dollars. Keep in mind these are 1975 3,000 dollars. And Quint comes in and does the whole fingernails on the chalkboard thing and announces, "Well, yeah, sure, I'll find it for 3,000." But I'll catch it and I'll kill it for ten. Uh, I'll cook it for another five fifty. <laughs> right, that was in the deleted scene. Uh, so what I want from you guys, I've now taken three things off the table, are notable sums of money, oh. and you can do with that as you will. Uh, just knowing that that money is often a character motivation, and then mo- directors have to answer the question, "How much money?" I just want from you three notable sums of money. Any questions? Why are we doing this? Why are you doing this to us? What the hell is wrong with you? Is that a tough one for you? Because I found myself yeah. thinking of like, like for instance, uh, I'll, uh, well, no, just like in in various heist movies, what are the stakes, or what are you know? And it doesn't even have to be a heist movie thing. Like Jaws, Austin Powers, and Trading Places are not heist movies. And the, I thought the the amount of money was notable in all three of those. So you know what? Just find movies you like that have a heist. Look up how much was involved and put that on your three by three. Um, so is, uh, is a lot a sum of money? It is not. It, it, well, you know what? It, I don't think of that as much of a sum. That's more of a quantity or a. Uh, what about more I'm wealth looking... than you can imagine? Well, that's See, what I was just saying. Thank that's you. That's very, very much. good. So no, I'm actually looking for a specific number, a specific sum of money. Uh, I should make that clear. Now, what we're doing new this week, and for, from here on, if folks want, if you are listening to this podcast. And uh, we invite you to spend the next week with us thinking about notable sums of money. Yes, exactly. Dogs are not eligible for this, I should say. That's fun. If between now and next Sunday at midnight, that's Sunday, September 23rd at midnight, you come up with something, email it to 3 by 3 at quarter3.com. That's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3. At quarter to three, you have to spell that out, dot com. And I will look those up and read them on the air if you have any ideas for what you think are notable sums of money. So email your picks to 3 by 3 at quarter to three dot com before next midnight, and uh, you'll be on the on the show with us next week. But you read all of them? I don't know. It depends on how many we get. I mean, we're not going to get enough that we can't read all of them. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we have. You know what? We'll see. I, I challenge everyone to send us so many that we don't have time to read them. And, and here's what I'll do, too, is I will not – we don't want to look at these over the course of the week to spoil our own picks, so I will be reading them cold, basically. Uh, so surprise us. Send us uh, – also keep in mind you don't have to pick three necessarily. If you just have one you can think of, that's fine. Send it along. 
Uh, next week we will be seeing. You know what? What did we decide? I don't no. know. <laughs> I guess we decided we... dread double D. Yes. Uh, whoa, dingus. That's uh, sexist. First of all, uh, we will be seeing Dread 3D next week. Uh, join us for that. Um, and Wait, it's in 3D. Yeah, it is actually called Dread 3D. I don't know if you can see it ever in 2D, Kelly Wan. I do Dread 3D, so it is. <laughs> Very well, good. That uh, Kelly Wan, it's a shame that won't be the tagline. It can be. I'll just <laughs> do it again. <laughs> well, uh, tune in next week to find out whether or not Kelly Wan is going to double up the tagline. Uh, Send in your taglines, too, and Tom will read all of them. <laughs> uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McClansky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Notable sum of my... Did you guys have a Devil May Cry commercial before your show? Uh, we did not. Did you get one? Yeah, it freaked me out. I thought, oh, this is starting with a fake video game sequence. That's how the movie started. Yeah. So that's, a, that's a Capcom game. Yeah, we did not. I, early, I say we didn't. I didn't get that. Kelly Wan, did you get to see a Devil May Cry commercial before your movie? Uh, I came in late. It freaked me uh, out because I, I was at a theater that never, ever shows commercials. Was there an Easter egg uh, bef- at the end of Afterlife? Because I waited at the there end of this one. Ah, like, yeah, no. Oh, at the end of After Oh Afterlife, no, no, yeah, Wait. yeah, but not yeah, Afterlife. Yeah, Afterlife showed the VTOLs and Sienna Guillory arriving. Uh, here they right. put the Easter egg. Here they put the Easter egg before the credits. <laughs> the little White House scene. That's so, not an Easter egg, and that's not a tantrum, and that's not a notable scene. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dingus, I miss you. Congratulations, you're officially a badass.